Before we dive in talking about systems, scaling, and how to step into your seven-figure CEO role, I want y'all to meet Aveline and realize just the powerhouse that she is. So she is a right-hand woman to driven CEOs ready to make impactful change that will revolutionize the online world. Over the past four plus years, she's led remote teams of over 20 people and ran the back end of multiple six and seven-figure businesses while only working 25 hours a week to prioritize her role as wife and mother. She is passionate about helping her clients scale simply, sell authentically, and lead with excellence and honestly, just alignment. If you are someone who you are very unsure about the operational side, we are going to dive into what to focus on at each stage of the business, what are some of the common pitfalls that you might be running into while building your systems, and a very honest conversation of really how you can scale and what your CEO role is. So get your notebooks out and dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Salesy Podcast. I'm so excited because today we're going to talk about the balance between sales and operation, and we're going to hit almost all the sections that you could be inside of. But to kick us off, welcome to the show, Aveline. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. As always, we always start with your story. How did you get started in all of this? Yeah, so I started out, I was actually working full-time in 2018 as a manager, and I wanted to build something on the side, so I actually started blogging. Didn't work out, failed blog, but learned a lot. And then I went into virtual assistant work while I was still working full time, made the leap. And then shortly after I had my son and went back to work like three months after, expanded my business and essentially just leveled up from there. Realized that a lot of the soft skills that I had as a manager, I could apply to the online space. And um, yeah, just grow in my strengths and my understanding of the ideal client that I had and wanted to work with. So now I partner with um, six and seven figure entrepreneurs and CEOs who need a right hand man to manage their uh, teams and their operations and uh, everything in between. So yeah, that's what I do now. I feel like everybody started as a virtual assistant. <laughs> There's a lot of people. <laughs> I feel like yeah. we all did the same Google search, how to make money online. And then it was like blogging, virtual assistant. And then it was like, after you become a virtual assistant, you realize you can't offer everything under the sun and you figure out what your specialty yeah. is. And then yeah. you go into it. But I feel like, I feel like we all downloaded the same freebie where it's like 50 different services you can offer. I know. Right. Yeah. It definitely starts out that way for a lot of people. I think for me, the background I had in blogging was a real asset because I could kind of pitch myself. Like I understand, I understood businesses who had blogs. I understood SEO and a lot of that. So it was a little bit of an edge that I got, but it took like a lot of years of not getting paid to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. The years of not getting paid, I feel like sometimes with the early stage entrepreneurs now they skip this like moment where it was like you offer a lot of free work and you hear a lot of no's and you just it's almost like you're going door to door to find a solution and then there wasn't as much information back then like when I started and probably when you started of like how do you monetize from the get-go how do you start building a company it kind of felt like the blind leading the blind in the beginning well, it's all very elusive sometimes, right? Like you have to buy more course and to actually understand how somebody can be making money online. And then 
the numbers are really, you know, can be clickbaity and, and um, you're like, oh, okay, I can make 10K a month from blogging online. Let's try it. I'm sure I'll get there in a year or two. And that's not quite how it works, everyone. Yeah. The numbers can be very elusive. And then once you get in it, you're like, is this 10K in sales? Is this 10K yep. cash? Yeah. Is this, you know, and then it's like, what does the nitty gritty look of that and going further into it? You are someone who specializes in operations and you kind of run the gambit of it. Mm-hmm. What are some things like someone who's starting out that they should start thinking about when it comes to their operations? Yeah, I think if you don't have, um, I, I guess it would depend on what you have in place already. But if you're really just starting out, like say you're a solopreneur, I would start documenting. I mean, I know it's the common thing to say, but it is true. Start documenting how you do everything in your business. So your processes, and even if that is, you know, really basic, just like a checklist on a Google doc, it doesn't have to be fancy. It can be really basic. Um, I would say that and uh, your messaging and your brand is really important to document because when you do, like, let's say your first hire is a marketing assistant or a social media manager, you can hand that off to them and you can see that kind of evolve. Let, let's say you're a solopreneur for two years and you have already documented so much of who you are as a brand, what you want to provide, who your ideal client is, um, and the specifics of that. And then I would also say, don't get into all the tools, only pick the tools that you are actually going to use in your business. Don't get overwhelmed with having to uh, download. Like I see a lot of entrepreneurs just being like, oh, I need like 10 different tools to do this, these two tasks. And I think simplifying your operations, especially in the beginning is underrated, um, yeah. So I would say definitely those, those three things. <laughs> I love how you mentioned the tools and you kicked off with that because I think a lot of people come into the online space and they think that software is the system Yeah, and it's not. And when it comes to tools, honestly, less is more. Yeah. And there are so many free opportunities to start with. I remember when I started my project management tool was literally a paper planner. And I was writing out my to-do list every day and then I would cross it off. Like I didn't have a fully built out ClickUp. Actually, Asana was bigger back then, but I feel like Asana missed the ball with a lot of this stuff. And that's (laughs) where starting out, you know, I see one of two things happen. I either see this full-blown messy action kind of entrepreneur, which I always applaud messy action, right? To go in and get started is how most of us did. But as you're starting to grow, there is no rhyme or reason or thought through your processes. And so you kind of have to backpedal when you do that first hire. And then the other side that I see is kind of this perfectionist operation suite where it's like you're doing everything behind the scenes to build a system, but you're not doing a business. And obviously from a sales standpoint, I'm always like, you need to go out, you need to make money. If you're not making money, this is kind of a hobby. Yeah. What's kind of your standpoint as being someone who does work on the back end and knows how important it is to have those systems? Yeah. So I always use the analogy of like sales is the is the water in your house and operations is the plumbing. So if you have a robust plumbing system and you have all your operations built out, 
and you know you're upgrading your tap you're doing all these things but you have no water coming through then what's what's the point like you're saying if you don't have sales you don't have a business um and then you have businesses where you know it's the other side of the spectrum you literally have nothing but you have the tap on turned all the way and water is coming in sales are coming in but you, it's messy it's complicated like you don't know where things are you don't know where things are going and, you know, mistakes are made often. And I think, you know, it's just prioritizing the things that you see um, that are in need. So like, for example, for the messy entrepreneur, making sure that, you know, yeah, you're taking inspired action. Amazing. Make sure that at least, you know, once you know an offer, like say you have a new offer, once you know that uh, that offer is um, bringing in sales, that you have at least steps one to five to close that. You have a checkout page, you have, you know, things set up, an automation, an email sequence, a nurture sequence, you know, you can build out all the things, um, but definitely making sure that that offer is going to sell first, I think is, is a really key aspect of that for that messy entrepreneur, at least. What would you say kind of to, you already kind of touched on this, but someone who maybe thinks that they need to have everything be perfect to have that perfect plumbing to then be able to sell, you know, kind of more of that. I'm a type of B personality. If you can't tell, cause I work in sales, I have worked in ops, but, but learned how to be more of that specific and clear. But I feel like sometimes people get hung up in this, like it needs to be the perfect plumbing before I run the water through it. Yeah, I would say, um, and I've worked with CEOs that have paralysis by analysis, where they're constantly feeling like they need to have the perfect system before they even let anything out. I think even as a, when you're starting out, you feel that way, right? Where you feel like you have to have the perfect website, you feel like you have to have the perfect pitch, or you work on your your messaging <laughs> for like hours on end. But at the end of the day, you need to hit send. You need to just put it out there and you can always adjust as you go. You will adjust. It's inevitable that you will adjust as you go. And, you know, is it the end of the world that, um, you know, there's a typo in a sales page? Probably not. That's probably not going to be the reason that somebody doesn't buy your product or your course or work with you. Um, so how you go about making sure that you have a balanced, like I'm going to sell myself and take that inspired action and make sure that I'm putting myself out there consistently. Um, because that also shows your, your audience that you're confident in what you're doing and then having, you know, a simplified system, a simplified tool, a simplified way of bringing in those leads. And, um, and as your business grows, you can grow both sides of them. You don't have to just stick with that oper like that system or that tool. You can always change it. And, and like I said, you will. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like the paralysis by analysis where it's like, you're so hung up on trying to make the best decision and the perfect way to do it as if there is a right and wrong way to do business versus you know, a lot of the work I've done with systems is over time, you learn what's working better for you. How does it work better for you by working the system, but without having consistent income or taking the action, it's really hard. You know, like you mentioned with the plumbing, it's hard to test if the plumbing actually works, if the hot water works, if you're not running any water through it. Exactly. So if you're someone who is listening and starting out, it's time to just take some action or time to build it. Yeah. You mentioned how you do work with like 
the gambit of entrepreneurs. What about someone who is kind of more, they've got simple systems down and they want to start improving it and they want to start maybe building an operations department. What would you kind of say to them? Yeah. So at that level of business, I would definitely say, um, before you do anything, look at your profitability um, look at what margins you actually can afford and then work from there. So, you know, whether that's, you know, I'm going to allocate this amount of money or I have this amount of budget to hire on somebody who is a department head, or if I have this amount of money to invest in automations or ads or what have you, um, I would definitely say that, you know, if it's not your strength, admitting that is totally fine. And, you know, you can do an assessment of that. You can, if, if you really want to be the face of the business and you're comfortable with selling, that is where you're naturally, you know, marketing and sales is, comes really easy to you. Then having somebody who is in charge of all of that um, could definitely be a huge asset to you. And somebody who is also going to look for improvements, not just take over what you've already done but look for improvements um, as you grow. Because if you don't have that, then it can be, it can often be a struggle even in your scaling. So, uh, you know, while you're working on bringing in sales, you actually don't have the structure to um, to hold all of that. And so, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. I love how you mentioned improvements and not just running a system and working a system, because I think a lot of people are like, I just want someone to take over. And I feel like part of ownership is taking over and making it better if the system isn't performing in the capacity that it should. Yeah, absolutely. And tech, like tech can be confusing. Like say, say it's a tech issue and you're like, I don't know how these tools can talk to each other or, or what have you. Um, you know, you can, you can hire a tech VA to, to work underneath that and, and have them be looking out for those improvements. I mean, you can think of those too, but often people get scared with either automating too much or not automating enough where like on the automating too much, it's like, well, I'm, I want to still have a, you know, white glove experience for my clients. And I don't want it to feel like there's, they're getting all these automated responses, but on the other hand, they won't automate anything. And, uh, you know, there's just so many, there's so much money going towards a team member doing something manually, or even them doing something manually that could easily be automated. I like how you mentioned the separation between automating too much and doing something very manually. I feel like there is a really big push right now in the online space to like automate everything you can and optimize everything. And even I saw um, an Alex Hermosi video where he was like trying to optimize what shoes he wore. And I was like, dude, it's just shoes. Like <laughs> put the shoes on your feet and wear them. Like it's not yeah. that, it's not as deep as it can be, but there is a fine line when it comes to using tools like Dubsado to automate your onboarding, but also, you know, making sure there still is a personal touch. You already mentioned kind of where that line is, but maybe can you give a clear specific example for someone to kind of know where that line is in the sand of like, hey, you're focusing too much on automating everything or hey, you're kind of just doing everything hands-on and it's not actually helping you. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think, oh, it would depend on 
you know, what you have in place and, and your processes, obviously. So speaking in a general sense, um, I would say automating on the side of automating too much. I would say, you know, looking at your business and seeing how much time are you, well, how much money you are investing in the roles that support your back end. Um, Cause often it can be like, oh, let's hire another operations manager or let's hire somebody again to help us with tech or whatever, but not actually focusing on where the business needs if if the sales are less and that is actually where the need is. Um, and then on the other side, I would say just being able to look and see, okay, is the, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. Can you say the question again? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> let me let me reword it. For somebody who is automating too much, what would you kind of tell them? And on the other side, for somebody who is maybe scared to automate because they feel like there's a personal touch that they would lose, what would you say to them? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I would say if they're automating too much, yeah, still looking at the the um looking and seeing if they are getting, if they're building relationships in their business and they're sustaining those relationships. So if you have end up auto automation and you have a workflow and you feel like it's, it's too, um, you don't even know the client at all. You don't know their situation. You feel like you're really detached from that. Maybe it's from your client experience, or maybe it's, you know, in your coaching program, you don't feel like you're as connected or as aware of where they are in their journey. Um, then I would say that would be a good sign. If you are doing things too manually, I would say, you know, some, sometimes it just takes the knowledge of knowing like, oh, I didn't know I could automate that. Or no, I didn't know that there was a tool that could do that. So sometimes it just is a little bit of digging to actually figure out that there's an easier way. Um, and then I would say also bringing in somebody who would be an expert in that can can be a big help. And like, oh, I didn't even know that we could automate this process. Um, and then I would also say, I think a lot of CEOs do things manually because they feel like either um, nobody's going to do it as good as them. And uh, I think that just comes down to knowing their worth. And if they are, you know, charging $100 an hour, if their time is worth that much, then they should be able to outsource that task to somebody on their team who is charging a lot less. I love how you touch on nobody's going to do it as good as I can. Yeah, fully answered that because I feel like as entrepreneurs, we do learn everything we need to know. And then eventually there is this weird handing of the baton and being like, well, I don't know if they're going to do it well. And then it's like delegating and there's this weird thing. And what I would say, and you'll probably agree with this is like, there are actually people out there who can do it better than you, who yep. can do it more efficient than you, who have more knowledge around it. And it's letting go of being solopreneur to CEO because yeah. what you're also doing is you're creating trust. And so if you're kind of at that point where you're scaling and you're like, I don't want to let go of something, is it in your wheelhouse? As you mentioned, is it worth what you're paying yourself hourly, which you should be paying yourself a salary? Yeah. And is there someone out there, if it's not in your wheelhouse and it's not kind of worth what you're paying, is there someone out there who could actually do it 
And what the actual fear is, is if I'm no longer doing this, where do I also need to focus? And that's where it's a larger conversation of being the CEO of the business versus being kind of that owner operator role. Yeah. And that last point that you mentioned about like, where do, do they need to focus on? It's like, well, what part of the business is actually lacking because you are not there because your, your time is spent on doing all those other menial tasks. Like, do you really need to send that follow-up? Could somebody on the team do it? Do you really need to be in the customer service inbox? Could somebody, you know, on the team do it? Um, I think a lot of the time CEOs have a hard time thinking about like, well, if I, if I outsource all those things, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, you where sell do more. my attention sell more? Well, yeah. And, and it could look like so many different things, right? Like, it's not like you don't still need to steer the ship and lead your business. Um, and oftentimes that can be the, like the number one thing that actually goes on the back burner while they're focusing on other tasks that they could outsource. I think that was the scariest thing, even though I came from a leadership position of moving from, I am doing everything to now I could be leading people. And most people don't have experience with leadership in that capacity. And that's the harder part because with leadership comes how to get feedback, how to hire, how to fire, delegating, and almost being really meticulous with like, what is helping me and growing the business and where am I holding on to something because I'm scared or because I don't want to hire a team or those types of things. The interesting thing that you mentioned with lack is that there are areas of the business. And what I find too, I find two things with business owners. When you're stuck in the day-to-day operations and you're doing everything, the last thing on your list is showing up and selling. And that's where it's like an income cap or it's, you know, the things you want to launch, the things you want to do aren't happening. The other side is, is that you're so in client delivery that when you don't have that piece outsourced, it's always like you're kind of backtracking with it and you're redoing it and you're rebuilding it. And that's where it's, you know, I remember when I first hired my first virtual assistant, it was like October and I had just started coaching in August. And the sole reason I hired a virtual assistant is because I hated uploading call recordings and I was never doing it. And they were always back out. And I was like, I, to this day, if it is my responsibility to upload a recording, you'll see it in four to six weeks. Like that's just not my forte. And that's where it's like, okay, by letting go of this, you can create so much more opportunity to sell and to market and to have space to get on podcasts or build that leadership or whatever you want to do. And it doesn't always mean that you have to build this massive team or build an agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that you see at like the multi-six figure or kind of hitting the first 100K to multi-six figure range when it comes to operations that someone who's at that range, they could think about and kind of start planning around? Yeah, I would say um, the most common pitfalls I see is uh, some of what we talked about already in terms of feeling like they need to do all the things, um, even when it comes to operations and feeling like they need to be a part of, like have all the tools, um, have the team. And and again, I think that does come back to profitability because if you're not assessing your data and you're not assessing your financials, then you actually don't know what's bringing you in the most cash. You don't know what's actually benefiting your audience the most, what they're like constantly asking for feedback, things like that. Um, so I would say 
you know, definitely trying to focus on simplifying your operations, simplifying your automations, and even simplifying your team. And, you know, I think a lot of the time, sometimes, you know, CEOs are like, oh, great, Kate, I'm ready to hire another person because I don't want to do this. It's like, well, before you do that, maybe look and see, you know, what other systems you can add in place or what other automation you can add in place before you go ahead and hire the team. I've worked with you know, entrepreneurs who have a team of 20 and I've worked with entrepreneurs who have a team of five and they make the exact same profit mar margins. Um, so, you know, it, <laughs> it really does vary in what you want to invest in and who you want to invest in, because at the end of the day, it, it, is, it is an investment in your business. Um, whether that's, you know, Facebook ads or, you know, even somebody to manage those ads, like, the, the online world can be so overwhelming. And so I really feel like a key aspect, especially when you're at that like over six um, figure mark is simplifying um, and building those operations, building those backend systems so that when you're ready to scale, you have that in place. I would definitely agree. And as someone who hit six figures pretty fast in sales and then in like cash collected, one of my biggest pitfalls was actually being honest with how many people I needed to pay and what my team looked like and what I wanted. But then also, you know, looking around and asking for feedback and really relying on feelings is kind of a pitfall as a CEO, because you do have to start looking at numbers and data and being really clear about you know, it's feelings versus facts. And there are feelings that come up when you're scaling and you're growing that can be overwhelming. But sometimes when you look at the facts, you're like, oh, this is more of a personal feeling. And right. it can be like, I'm feeling the business is on fire. I'm not making money versus the actual fact. And that was something that, you know, when you don't have that data available and you don't have the space to look through and kind of comb through it, you yeah. are kind of operating from this place of being reactive. And yes. you can be reactive and get to 100K but I would say going from six figures to multi-six, so maybe that 250 quarter of a million to a half a million mark, you do have to start being more strategic because you also have to start thinking about where am I spending time that matters and where am I wasting time from either you don't want to outsource it or, I mean, there's just so many things you can think about. When it comes to project management, which obviously comes as you're growing a team, Hmm. What would you tell someone if they were stuck in picking ClickUp or Asana or Notion or Trello or, I mean, I guess there's more software out there that I don't actually know. Yeah, I am actually totally, um, I'm very biased in this, <laughs> in this uh, discussion because I actually don't care. You should pick a tool that works for you. I am a little bit exhausted by the, you know, I'm team ClickUp, I'm team Asana. And hey, I love both of those. Like you can, you can do what works for you, but don't get caught up in, you know, complicated systems doesn't necessarily mean better systems. So if you're a Trello person, you've always used Trello and spreadsheets and it's working and your team is understanding what their obligations are and your leads are coming in and you're managing things well, why would you change it? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bit, because that subject just seems to have really exploded the last couple of years. 
Um, so I'm not a person who is just like, I'm team one software. I'm team software that works for, especially my project management tools, um, a software that works for you and your team. I love that answer. I think people forget <laughs> that like the software doesn't actually matter. It like, doesn't. It actually doesn't. <laughs> It really doesn't. And that's something I think we experience across the board with what email, what communication tool, what course hosting, what project management, like we get so hung up on the software. And like, the thing I always think about, I think about two things is one, what methodology works best for you? I am someone who has been really graced where I was taught agile from engineering world. Um, My dad actually, my dad went uh, IT in 2000 and or something ridiculous like that so he was on the forefront of learning it but like he moves jobs he can't be like oh we only use ClickUp or oh we only use this software and I think that's where the online space forgets that the point is to do something that works for you and to have a methodology that gets things done I think there's also just like some self-identification that happens in the software that like you have this sunken cost where you're putting all this time in. And then when you're moving softwares, you're making it more emotional than it needs to be. And sometimes it's like you move because of cost, you move because of tools, you know, you don't need to be so invested that you're this person versus that. It's really like, what can you do for your team and how can you make it the most effective? Oh, it's so true. Like (laughs) it definitely becomes more emotional than it needs to be. And, you know, I've seen systems where it's been, um, so there have been so many notifications. Don't worry. I know you can change the system settings on notifications, but still so many notifications that you're paying your team to spend at least an hour just going through those, um, where they could be spending doing something more productive. And then I've seen systems that are just kind of added and downloaded and nobody is actually in them. Nobody's actually using them. Nobody's keeping each other accountable. Everyone's kind of just in their silo and it's not used to its greatest ability or capability. Yeah. Cause the power truly is cross-functional teams. And that's something that as you're growing, you do have to learn. Like, you know, I always say like hire for the skills you can't teach, which are typically soft skills. That's something I learned in management where it was like, I can teach someone how to sell. I mean, someone can be taught how to do a hard skill, but some of the soft skills of openness or, you know, having someone who's super helpful or having very strong communication, when you build systems that silo people, you're kind of losing that personal touch and being on a remote team too, if your team is hundred percent remote, it makes it significantly harder, which I think a lot of people, you know, instead of getting hung up on, are you a ClickUp girly or an Asana girly or you know, what is it? Dubsado versus Honeybook or Kajabi versus Kartra. Like instead of getting focused on that, like really focus on what gets the job done and allows the team to be collaborative. Yeah. And I think what you said about soft skills, it's essentially just focusing on your values. What do you value in a person who you hire? What do you value in a team? Um, I worked with a client who, when I came on board, she had a work with me guide, which I now use for myself too. And it was so robust and so wonderful to just know exactly her expectations, exactly her working style, her, what she prefers, what her pet peeves are, which with her team, with the business in general, what, you know, um, depletes her energy, what gives her energy. 
And I was so helpful to understand who she was as a CEO and what my, and how I could kind of be there to support her where she needed to be supported rather than where I, you know, um, often would just by default support a client. But. Yeah. I love little user manuals. Cause then you get to know people in a way that like is super beneficial. And sometimes too, I feel like when you're doing stuff in passing or you are, you know, you're working on a remote team, some of the experiences that you would have in person with someone you may not experience with that. And so that makes it clear and consistent. And sometimes when there's no room for interpretation, it makes it so much easier because as humans, we want to attach meaning to everything. If somebody is maybe scaling towards more of that seven figure mark and they're starting to build an operations department and they're starting to, you know, they're doing more marketing, they're doing more sales, they have more client delivery. What are some of the focuses that they can focus on as moving out of maybe the acting chief operating officer and COO and starting to hand that off to someone? Like what are the main things that they can start to do to build out their operations department? Yes. Yeah. So I would say, um, yeah, if, if the budget allows for it and if the data is clear, (laughs) then hiring somebody to actually manage the department and manage people who would be under that so that you can offhand that, uh, to them and just get updates, right. Just get updates of the changes that have been made rather than being in the day-to-day of the operations part of your business. Um, and again, somebody who's going to look for improvements for you along the way, I would say, uh, definitely things like, uh, welcome sequences and abandoned cart sequences and nurture sequences are incredibly, I've just seen such, um, so many results come from my clients implementing really powerful workflows, um, that will sell clients in, and, and you can say that you could, you know, do a client roadmap map for all of these two. Uh, but I would say that would definitely be something, um, that yeah, is so valuable because you're taking somebody who is really new to you and automatically almost repurposing things that you've created in the past and educating them, uh, on who you are, what you provide. And I think a lot of the time people just Um, This is for email specifically, but people just are subscribed to someone's list and, you know, just start getting their regular emails and it's such an opportunity loss. Um, So I would say definitely setting those things up. I would, uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking for somebody to manage your department, uh, qualities to look for, I would say would definitely be uh, a go-getter and somebody who takes initiative and is going to keep your team accountable. Um, that's something that I don't see a lot of a lot of the time. And even if your uh, VAs or your doers of your company or your team are are doing the things that they need to, somebody who is actually overseeing them, uh, I. I've seen also where, you know, CEOs delegate everything and then they kind of hand off too, <laughs> they give almost too much autonomy and the CEO doesn't have any oversight and, you know, things fall through the cracks or aren't updated and you find out later. So making sure that your business has, um, you know, all their nuts and bolts tightened um, is really, really important too. And once you come up with, a new idea or a new offer, having 
um, you know, kind of a, a roadmap or a checklist of like what needs to happen. If you don't know what needs to happen and you're just like, I have this idea, I need you to make it happen, getting the support so that you can say that to somebody and they actually know what to do and how to implement it. If they don't, then that's going to fall back on you. So I like how you talked about giving it and then just getting updates. Yeah. I think there is a fine line between being checked out as a CEO and not really, you're just checked out and you've handed everything off and you've almost over delegated to a point where it's like, I personally believe you should still have some stake in your company. If you are an online business owner, Um, if you're building an agency, it's a little bit different. Or if you're building something with the intention to sell, that can be different, but I see so many CEOs, they're burnt out. So they offload everything and they forget that they still have to be active. You know, there are CEOs, acting CEOs who are still well aware. They're just not in the nitty gritty day to day. You know, for an example, they're not the one using the call uploading again. They're not the one considering about the call uploading where the CEO is getting updates on if they're improving that process, looking at softwares to help. When you're doing that though, what you're also handing off is saying that I trust you and I want you to take ownership. And where I personally see, you know, kind of what breaks the system with that trust and ownership is having guidelines and very specific guidelines of here's the decisions you're going to make on your own. Here is how we filter decisions, how we make decisions. And here is when you can call me in and help because sometimes people don't know and they want your opinion or they want to know what the company culture is or how that decision would be. I do think there is kind of a rise of a kind of like a tech founder almost where it's like you're building a company with the intention to sell, but it's attached to your personal brand. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as you're scaling, you still get to do fun things and you don't have to be completely checked out. But I also think a lot of the burnout that's happening inside the online space is truly a call to have an attention to the balance of operations and sales. And what do you need to offload on your plate and where currently are you at in your business? And that's something that you kind of brought up that I think a lot of people listening to this, they're going to think about it, but maybe in the moment, it's less of like, this is where we can improve things. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love that you mentioned that because I think it all comes down to being clear. Like uh, anytime you're delegating something and that for a lot of people, they think, oh, well, you know, I gave them the autonomy. I, I, I offloaded that task and they didn't, they didn't do it the way that I wanted them to. And it's like, okay, well, let's go through this. Did you provide, you know, the directions that they need? Did you provide the resources that they need? Did they feel like they understood what was expected of them before they even started what they needed to do? Um, and I think that's like one of my principles is clarity is kindness. And um, sometimes this will lead to high team t- turnover where, you know, CEOs will be like, oh, okay, well, they didn't do it two months later, I'm going to hire somebody else who will. And that's just failed expectations over and over again. Um, and nobody wants that in their business. Nobody wants that as a name for their business or, or building, uh, you know, a, a team member being a part of what they're building. It's interesting that you mentioned about failed expectations, because I think as CEOs, there is a lesson to learn on how to communicate and to delegate. And yeah. almost to, when you're delegating one, like, almost over communicate, but not over communicate in the sense there's a fine line between over communicating and micromanaging. And I'm so yes. <laughs> to learn not to micromanage, but communicating like, here's what I'm handing to you. Here's yeah. what I would like to see or what the outcome is. And here's kind of the expectation. 
but letting them figure out a process. Because the other thing is that I experienced when I went to go work for someone else is that like, what may work for you as the CEO with your expertise and skills may not be the way someone does it. And sometimes the micromanaging gets hung up on, we do it this way and we do the process exactly this way, but the outcome looks the exact same. And it's like, just let them do it their process as long as they're not missing any details, that they're getting everything done. If the outcome's the same, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's hard to let that go. Right. I think for, for people who are more operations minded and do have that, like everything has to have a perfect system before I implement it, they have a hard time letting go. And, you know, maybe they are wanting their team members to be more autonomous, but don't really know how. And I think a lot of the time that's where resourcefulness comes in. And like you said, there's a fine line between micromanaging and, um, and just giving more autonomy, but I think, uh, you know, you, you rob your team members of their ability to think for themselves and their ability to learn when you don't allow them to have any autonomy or be resourceful. Um, so it's something to think about because you also want your team to grow. And if you want them to grow in their role, then facilitating an environment that encourages that is also, you know, key. Yeah. And it's, I think you have to give room for people to try something and to figure it out on their own. And that's where, as a CEO, that's where you have a larger conversation with yourself, where it's like, I adopted a culture where I would rather people try something and figure out, and if it doesn't work, you know, I will be the first person to admit if there is fault somewhere, or if it's, you know, if it's a client experience, you're going to take responsibility as the CEO. You're not going to just throw your team under the bus. But if you want people to take ownership, you have to give it to them. And that is a hard lesson to learn when you've built it and your name's attached to it. But it's also really powerful when you let people do things and figure out a system and then they come to you and they're kind of like, they're kind of like the proud kiddo bringing the art project. And they're like, look, I did this. And you're like, yeah, you actually did do this. And you had all the tools and that once you experience that once as a CEO, or even, you know, if you're a parent and you've experienced that with your kids, that feeling is so much more powerful than micromanaging or having them do it your way. You feel like you've experienced that with your team too? Yes. Um, actually multiple team members where it has been recently my OBM CEO, she's done a lot and she's grown a lot, but she's definitely come to me, uh, specifically with the podcast. She built a system for the podcast. Cause I was like, Hey, I want to produce more podcast episodes, but I was like, I get really hung up in all of these things. And she kind of word vomited it to me in Slack. She was like, okay, you know, right now we use a Slack channel where it's like, I put all the information that I need and then they put it in the scheduler. And we've now brought in like a content calendar where we see everything. But it was really interesting for me to come to her with a problem and be like, here, I was like, I want a desired solution that allows us to capture show notes, intros and the recordings. And this is what it needs. And then I just let her do it. And the system we use actually has allowed us to produce, I think we've produced like 30 episodes this year, which I don't, I don't think we would have without that system. And it It's something though, if you would have asked me four years ago or back in my management career, if I would have been able to hand off, probably not. I had to really like take it and be like, I trust the process and I am going to work the system. And I am also going to stay in my wheelhouse, which was, okay, I write the show notes, record the podcasts, uh, work with the guests and even improving like our guest workflow. We just recently talked about, like, how can we improve this and make it better? 
but it's definitely, I am a micromanager at core. And so it's sometimes really hard to like, not white knuckle it and be like, here you go. Oh, good for you. Well, clearly it produced the results that you were looking for, right? Yeah. And that was something kind of too, something we didn't talk about is like, have a specific result that you want in mind. We, um, we do operate with like KPIs and stuff and where it's like, this is the end result, or this is the result when we're testing anything too, it's like, okay, you know, we're testing LinkedIn content right now. And our big thing was like, okay, if we're going to produce this amount of content, we're going to utilize this system of repurposing here is like our end goal and to test it. But if you would have asked me to do that four years ago, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, uh, sign clients and make it feel easier. (laughs) And right. Then that's like the evolution of your business. Right. So it changes. So in the beginning, you might be just like, okay, this is all we need. And now it's like, oh, we can actually analyze the data and see what works and, and make a step forward. That's so cool. Yeah. It was also a lot of just like, I read a lot of sales books. And then when I got bored with sales books, I started reading more (laughs) of the operation books. So I read, uh, I know it's super popular attraction by Gina Wickman, rocket fuel. Yeah. There's some other ones. Oh my gosh. Measure what matters by John Dewar. I was like, Oh, I haven't heard of that one. That one talks about KPIs and OKRs with Google. And, um, another one that I read that I feel like really kind of got me into a place of like, Hey, I need to start handing off operations. And if you're listening, this would be really good for you is, um, I like can see the book cover. It's the E-Myth Revisited where it Mm. talks about getting out of the owner operator role and becoming CEO and something he talks a lot about our systems and how to start building systems. Now he doesn't talk directly in the online space. There's not a really good book of like how to do operations in the online space. And I've taken some courses, but that was a part two of like, as a business owner, when you do outsource those things, you have time to learn things and read and grow and then take it back to your team, which if I wouldn't have outsourced, you know, call recordings and some of the stuff I did in the beginning, I don't think I would have had the space to read those books and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's it's funny because you have so much freedom as a CEO when you outsource those things um, and you don't have to be an expert in all of the different specific areas. You don't have to know exactly what setting to go to or how to update a user and active campaign. Like, it's, it's a lot of pressure. I think that's lifted off of you when you're a CEO and can offhand that and, and good for you for (laughs) overcoming the micromanagement tendencies that you have. There's every, I feel like every, every manager and every CEO has to go through that process. And if they haven't already, then they're probably still a micromanager. I think when you start a business, you naturally manage every part of your life. And so it comes so naturally and that's where it's letting go. I think the really cool thing that a lot of people forget though, is that when you let go, that's where incredible things happen. And that's where you, people get to come with their own experience and it does alleviate the pressure of knowing everything. Like that is very overwhelming. And that's where my business, I don't think would have grown the way it does, like does and did without having people come in and be experts because there's not physically enough time and space in every single day to do that. And that's where, you know, someone like you can come in and really improve someone's business and really think about the things that someone isn't. And then you as the CEO can focus on the things that are more important and that are truly in your wheelhouse and also the things that you enjoy. Yeah. Some people don't like, 
admin, the small amount of admin that I have to do that's required for the business is still like, I am just not an admin person. And I think that's from working front desk for all those years. You're like, I did my, I did my time. <laughs> I have done my time. And this was before everything became digital. So we had paper file rooms. I have given my life to file rooms. I did the same thing. I was front desk and we had files for everything. That's how it was. But I was the person who was like, we don't have a manual for this. This is an issue. We need a system. <laughs> I mean, we don't call it those things in corporate or in brick and mortar businesses, but, yeah. uh, but that's what it was. I remember the first time what I would have experienced as operations is I got a job and it was like a slower clinic. So there's three massage clinics. I worked for a chain and it was the slower one of the three. And so we had like, we had wide open space, but they wouldn't let us close early, which coming from the ski industry where it's like you close early because labor is expensive. Yeah, I remember I took on this full project for the file room where I was like okay our file room they just kept adding more files but they never did a file cleanup and I was like okay well if we're sitting here we're going to do a file cleanup and then we're just going to go through them one by one and yes. clean it up, make it <laughs> right we go through this whole process and halfway through it we had to reorganize we organized it we alphabetized it because the file room was alphabetized but then we had to go back and do it by year that the member quit and we went back and we did all that. And I remember building the system for it. And we were at a regional meeting and they're like, okay, we're going to do this like region-wide file cleanup and talking through the system. And what's interesting is going into this, I didn't really have a system. I was like, let's just clean this up because the file room was terrifying and I hated it. And it was just, a mess. I was like, let's make this easier. Let's like declutter. Let's Marie Kondo the file room. But going through the process, that's where they built the system that allowed them to, they may still use it. I think everything's on iPads now, but that's also too, when you're kind of in the middle of it, I think everybody wants this perfect process at the end. And it's like, by going through it, it definitely changes the process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we need those types of people, right. Who are looking for inefficiencies who are saying, oh, well, this is a missed opportunity. We can take people who haven't been here in two years and we can offer them a discount. We can offer them a promotion. We can, um, you know, see why they left in the first place and maybe rekindle the flame who knows. Right. Um, and then there's people who are just focused on the new and, you know, what the new idea is going to be, what the new offer is going to be. And I think that's where you find that balance is making sure that if you don't have, if you know that that's not your strength, um, then, you know, recognizing, okay, I need to either hire for it or have a coach or have somebody who is a consultant who's coming in and partnering with me to make sure that that's not a gap in my business. And I'm not, yeah, missing out on, on wonderful opportunities. Yeah. Aveline, you are like a wealth of knowledge. You have so much information and just, I know if I was sitting there getting customized support from you, it would be so powerful. No, if somebody no. listens to this episode and is like, I want to work with her. I want to be with her. Where can they connect with you? Yeah. My website would probably be the best place to go to or Instagram. My website is just my name. So it's Aveline. A-V-E-L-I-N-E, Alfar, E-L-F-A-R.com. And um, my Instagram handle is my name, Aveline Alfar and Co. Amazing. We will link everything down below. And if you loved this episode and you loved her, go ahead and slide in her DMs and tell her her favorite part of the episode. I honestly am probably going to go back and re-listen to this because it was so good. And I'm just 
thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me.